Listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the SDSU Football Podcast. I am Andre Hagverdian, joined as always shortly by Paul Garrison. This is the bye week for San Diego State, so there is no game. This weekend before San Diego State begins the second half of their season schedule, traveling to Reno to play Nevada on October 22nd. But no fret, San Diego State fans, we've got a great interview today for this episode. Our guest today is a special one, not just because of what this man did statistically while playing football for San Diego State, but for the adversity he had to overcome just to get on the field. We are referring to Tyler Campbell, who played running back for the Aztecs from 2005 to 2008. In his three seasons of play, he rushed for 165 yards and four touchdowns. He caught 11 passes for 90 yards, returned eight kickoffs for 111 yards, and made 18 tackles on special teams. But while playing his senior season, he became the first Division I college football player to play with multiple sclerosis. An incredible story for any Aztec fan who is unaware of what Tyler went through and kept a secret from his teammates and coaches throughout that senior year. Following his days on the Mesa, Tyler has turned into an ambassador for MS Awareness and transitioned into a very successful business career, in addition to becoming a speaker, radio show host, and most recently an Amazon best-selling author. We get into all of this with him in addition to much more, so hope you guys enjoy it. We want to welcome uh, Aztec for Life, Tyler Campbell, to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time today. How are, how's everything going? Man, hey, ain't nothing shaking out here but the limbs on the trees down in Texas, fellas. How y'all doing tonight, man? We're well, man. Good. Well, thank you. <laughs> I was uh, checking out your website, IamTylerCampbell.com, the other day, and it lists you as a consultant, speaker, and a trainer says that you help others master the art of resiliency and overthrow adversity. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do uh, professionally? Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and I, I wish I could say it's what I always sought out to do, but it, it's not, <laughs> you know. Um, but for me, uh, you know, traveling the country as an inspirational speaker since I was since I was 24 years old, freshly moved in San Diego State University. Um, and so it's my utilization of words that has helped me uh, help employees, help, allowed me to help uh, sales management teams, effective levels of communication, helping other individuals find that thing inside of them, which is their own gift, their own being. Um, because when you figure that out for yourself, brother, and you pull that into your family, into your job, into your friends, you are literally finding your own way to overthrow adversity because no matter what life dishes at you you reflect back on what you have been blessed with and um those are the types of messages that i've been traveling the country and giving and man and, and you can add author to that thing now too at amazon best-selling author on there Andre. Yeah. add that on there too so That's it's just good. a it's the utilization of words um hailing from a proud san diego state university and 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 i've been using them ever since brother to impact the world 
I mean, just in that description, passionate man is a way to describe everything that you do and are about. So just looking at passion, is that a skill or is that something that's more innate, innate in a person? I think, I think for me, it's, um, I think for me, it, it came in eight. Like it's, um, I'm passionate about people. Hmm. And I get that from my grandmother in terms of just like, I love people. I may be a speaker, but at the heart of who I am, it is relationship and people. I genuinely love to serve. And when I am in that mold, I love it and I can't get enough of it. And I love to see other people win because I know when you're winning, I can always look at your story and feel like I can too and and vice versa. So um, because I've seen it, because I've lived it, because I've been in football and I've, I've seen other teammates make it to the league. I've seen other teammates become captains. I've seen teammates come in through university systems and graduate and be the first generation college student in their family. They win. And so I'm passionate about seeing other people go further than they ever imagined. That keeps me there, but it comes from, it comes from family. So I think that stuff was like, it's derived in me. It just pours out in other facets of my life. So I feel like it, I feel like it's a tick. I feel like that passion is, is in you. You just have to figure out where, what scope is, is it comic books? Is it communication? Is it family? Um, it's in you already. We just got to figure out where the channel and where to pull it from. So in the audience who's listening, tell us more about that. I mean, how do people find their passion? How, how do they unlock whatever that is to be able to, you know, turn it around and win and, and do all of the reciprocal things that you're speaking about? It, it comes from that willingness to want to let a man or a woman examine themselves. And I think we live in a world now with Instagram likes and Twitters and Instagram gratifications. And if somebody doesn't like what I'm doing or don't leave a comment of what I'm doing, then I feel worthless. All right. And so I feel like people have to get back to the roots of being honest with themselves, which is one of the hardest things for people to do now, which is literally to be honest with who, who you are, not who your friend is, who your neighbor is, who that person you follow on social media is and what they're doing. Not them. Who are you? And you'll find that every person has a unique gift, which is that thing that you can do with relentless passion, energy, drive, and consistency without anybody paying you a dime to do it. You can't discover that if you don't first and foremost take a walk down through yourself. Now, with that, yo, you might be some childhood trauma you're going to encounter along the way. It might be some apologizing you need to do around people because it's it stopped you from getting to that next level in your life. But there's there's those things, there's an innate gift in you. I thought my gift was football. It was just one of them. It was a talent. My real gift was to speak, all right? And when you get to the level of understanding your gift, you're gonna know you got it because when you do it, like I said, you love it more than anything else in this world. Like if somebody strips you of that thing, you like that is your outright gift. Your purpose is your divine calling from the man of the moment. So you can't figure out the purpose if you don't literally know who you are. There are a lot of people that we see with gifts. We see famous people with all the money in the world and they have an innate gift to act, an innate gift to, to speak or to do so amazing things. But we see them getting trouble consistently. Why? Because they got this amazing gift, but they haven't figured out their purpose in life. 
So if you don't have the gift, you can't figure out how to channel your purpose, then you walk around in circles of unfulfillment and unhappiness in your life. My gift is to speak. My purpose is to serve. So when you know your gift and then you channel it into a purpose, it provides something to fuel you. It provides something that gives you peace and it keeps you from walking in circles of unfulfillment and unhappiness in your life. We know plenty of gifted people but we see them falling out. We see them getting in trouble and wondering why. It's because they got the gift, but they don't know the purpose and how they're supposed to utilize it to better somebody else's life. You get those two things, you can always rebath. A big part of your journey is overcoming challenges. For those people listening who may not know what those are, could you kind of talk us through some of those challenges? Uh, for me personally, my brother, God, that's a great Aztec jersey. I love that. All right, for me, for me personally, um, I think I think hurdles started in my life at a at a very early age, man. My my dad's an NFL Hall of Famer, Heisman Trophy winner, in, a, in the state of Texas. He's one of the four official state heroes in this state for Pete's wow. sake. So I think um, we got David Crockett, Sam Houston, Stephen F. Austin. My father is the only official hero of the state of the state of Texas as a part of our state, you know, state legislature. So from birth, it was expected uh, that I'm going to play football and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And you got to remember, man, Texas football is everything. You know, town shut down, all that stuff you read about in Friday Night Lights, all that stuff is real. And it's in the small towns as well as the big cities. And so I didn't meet that expectation, fellas. Like I fell short of that when I was young, when I was in middle school, middle school football. It was so my hurdles and trying to figure out who I am I was lost because football didn't make that sense for me. I wasn't good at the game. All right. So you, so my adversities came very quickly, emotionally and privately. From that standpoint, I mean, I'm an alternative school kid. I had substance abuse issues because I didn't appreciate who I was. I didn't understand a gift. I didn't understand a purpose. And so um, that put me on an alternative education system. Football started to click, you know, right before that. My junior year, I was the number two running back in the entire state of Texas. So it clicked like. I figured out all those things, but um, I wound up going to alternative system. When I when I finished my football season, I lost every single scholarship that I had from San Diego. I mean, from a from a, a kid growing up at Westlake High School, same high school as Drew Brees, same high school as Nick Foles, like pedigree of high school. Constantly overcoming, constantly being overlooked, you know, scratching and clawing to get to San Diego State University, and you know. Uh, I got diagnosed with a, a disease called multiple sclerosis when I was at San Diego State University. It's like the hurdles, the trials and tribulations, facial erectile dysfunction, like not being able to feel your limbs, um, playing a sport with holes on my brain and paralysis. Like that's my life. You know, doctors telling me I'll never be able to have children. That's my life. 21 years old. Like, so when I tell people and why I'm passionate, why I love to see people win, is because I remember getting diagnosed with MS at SDSU and nobody really knew about it, you know, and and how lonely that was, bruh. And and but how much I love the game and I love my teammates. And it's like um you can't quit. You know, you you don't give up. You like not everybody gets to play college football, bro. Not everybody gets rights to a free education. Like not everybody gets to go to this beautiful city and go to school. We sponsored by Nike. When I got there, we went from Russell to Nike. You know what I'm saying? Like Michael Franklin's, Kevin O'Connell's, Kirk Morrison's, like all these people. I'm part of the 
Like we get to put on red and black like they do. You know what I'm saying? So you look at those things, you recognize how blessed you are. I might have had MS. I, I might have been through alternative school. or I, I mean, I could have been dead, but I'm here. So how can I complain? When you look at those things, you recognize that you are lucky to do something, bro. It makes it a lot easier to persevere. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard as hell. But those are the things that, that help shape me and mold me into who I am. That's why I'm passionate about it. Yeah, you, you mentioned um, you were diagnosed with MS, I believe, after your junior year. Yeah. And you kept, is it true you kept it a secret from even the coaches? Yes. You know, you're here, you're there. Like, um, you know, I, I tell people, you know, if you, if you're number one, when I got diagnosed after that road, like I go into the training room the next day and it's like, you know, you see the team doctor, right. And you're thinking all your roads, all your answers in with the team doctor as an athlete. When I was there, the team doctor didn't know what I was, I, I, I couldn't neurologically, something was off completely off. So he sent me to Scripps La Jolla Memorial Hospital because he was like, you need to go see a, a brain, actual brain doctor because it's not a concussion. So we, you got to go do that. Um, from that point on, I was like, I was on my own. My diagnosis, everything like it was it was on me, my medications, the, the, the insurance, like I'm there doing all that in Scripps La Jolla, you know, and I never came back, ever had a conversation with my coaches. And I don't fault them for that. It's me not knowing. I was scared that if I opened up and I was going to get a scholarship taken because I knew college football is it's a business. Like, let's be honest, fellas, like it is a business. It is a numbers game. OK, and, and you're always looking for the best of the best to put on scholarship. I don't want to lose my scholarship. That's what I thought. I'm saying it was right, but that's what I thought. The mindset of a 21 year old all the way from Texas, making it to San Diego State, a dream school. Finally, I was scared that if I told them. They were going to take it away from me. And I'll never forget, we played Notre Dame on ABC my senior year. And uh, it was probably one of the, the first games where you could really notice, like, I had MS. I did when I looked at the film. Like, I really noticed, like, I had MS. And I remember, um, I remember one of my coaches asking, Chuck Long asked, he's like, man, you all right? And I was like, he's like, man, I don't look like you. I was like, and I and I and I, I knew it was a moment where I could have said something. I said, no, so no, sir, coach, I'm just fine. I'll get it cleaned up. Go practice on on a when we come back to practice on Tuesday. I'll never let that happen again. That was the closest, but I never had a conversation with them about my disease. None of them. And uh, my offensive coordinator, he actually wrote I wrote on my book. And we, we 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 talk periodically. He can test. He can attest to it, man. I never sat down with any of my coaches to tell. No, no. I was scared, terrified. So would you have any, like, um, you know, the, the world of, of sports has come a long way since that time yeah. about being open about concussions, being open about all that kind of stuff. What advice would you have for, for, for players who, you know, maybe are going through an injury and they're, they're facing some of those same tensions? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I and I, I went to, I was, I was back speaking at SDSU to all the student athletes um, back in August, I guess while the guys were in camp. And I literally told them it is the time in which ment your mental well-being, where people understand that athletes are under a heck of a lot of stress. OK, your school, you're on a strict regimen. You are needing to perform. You're fighting injury. You're battling. I mean, it is constant. Right. It is a grueling task. It is not easy to be a student athlete. 
Well, now you have resources as a student athlete to where if you are feeling overworked, if you are feeling overstressed, if you are worried constantly that you're not going to be the same after you're coming back from your ACL injury that took place last year and you just put your hand in the dirt and you can't you can't physically get comfortable because there's a mental wall there. You have sports psychologists and things that you need to do it. It's not taboo. You want to know why? Because now you've heard about Tom Brady and his sports psychologist. Now you've heard about Peyton Manning and you've heard all these other athletes who've come before you talk about the importance of sports psychology. So they've, they've blown the brakes off. It's okay. It's open. So you don't have to hide it anymore. So whatever anxieties and worries you feel, it's normal. Y'all are in 2022 and you can use it now. So use the platform and use the resources. Now, obviously, it's harder because we come from tough situations. You, you battle people who, who've grown up differently in life. The goal is to help them to try to figure out how to trust somebody. And that is not easy. But I can honestly say I never had somebody get before me in 2007, 2006, 2005, and, and 2008 and speak before me as a student athlete and tell me it's okay to go talk to somebody. And you know what? Your coaches will understand that. Even if you don't conversate with them, that's fine. Find your person and go to that person. And it, you, you have like the doors have been open. So use the resources. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a thing now. Mental health matters is it's a thing now. So you don't have to be ashamed anymore. No doubt. And, uh, you know, just going back to a little bit more of the glory days on the field, man, back at San Diego State. I mean, I think part of this story is y'all weren't very successful, right? You mentioned that Notre Dame game. You mentioned that Notre Dame game, which, you know, I think I think if there was instant replay the way there should have been, that that game would have been different. That game would have been different. We're not talking about B. Sullivan, but, you know, I'm just saying I'm just saying I'm just saying. Uh, but I mean, the week, the, the week before, right. You're yeah. all losing to Cal Poly, Cal Poly. Right. But then, so, you know, you're going through the whole season, you're going through all of these things, man, but take me to senior night. I want to know about senior night, man, two touchdowns. The, the, the team goes in there with one win. Yeah. UNLV yeah. is showing up. They want to get bowl eligible. They got everything to play for. And, and you guys show up and, 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 and do it, man. So tell me about just your whole experience, what you think about San Diego state and what you mm. remember. For me at State, you know, Adam Hall was came from my high school. And so, like, staying up late, watching A. Hall perform, and, like, I don't know, all these other individuals in the red and black before, you know, it meant something to a lot of guys on the team, even though the record didn't reflect. And a lot of us were Coach Kraft kids, you know. I sent the film out to the Coach Crab my junior year because I love the colors. Nobody was recruiting me from state, you know what I'm saying? And and I everybody thought I was going to Texas A&M, so they didn't even bat an eye. And man, I had a scholarship from state like the week after I sent my tape. And so uh, a lot of red and black pride for guys. And you could have just laid down and foot like everybody. We played and we always knew. We looked at the film. We knew we were better than. You have guys on every team that I played on that spent a lot of years in the league, like a lot of years in the league, man, like cats who were extremely talented. 
and did some stuff in the NFL or got a chance in the NFL. So we always looked in the locker room like, dude, we we just as good. I got that Notre Dame game. We didn't bat an eye. We, we went to Wisconsin and we should have beat Wisconsin. Like we didn't bat an eye when we were we we got up against Ohio State um seven to six out the gate. Brett Swain taking like an 80-yard touchdown in at the Buckeye Stadium. We expected to we never felt like we couldn't play. Right. It was just always feeling like, dang it, why ain't it come together? You know, and battling all of that stuff with maybe some cats feeling like they were, you know, wanting to be with Coach Kraft or Coach Kraft come back. Some cats wanting the new coaching scheme. So I always tell people, man, chaining up with coaching staff, it does, it does make a difference, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse, depending on how guys choose to rally, how the leadership depends, you know. And, and so when I look at that UNLV game, I remember going out there my senior year, I meant to, as soon as I would call my name out the tunnel, the flowers <laughs> that I was holding to give my mom coming from Texas and won't come watch me play. As soon as I got two of the power buds were gone, the <laughs> pedals were gone. And it's because like, as soon as I took off, like I hit my thigh pads a couple of times with my flower <laughs> and all of them were gone. So I was like, Oh man, this is going to be one hell of a night. It's either going to be a really bad one or a really good one. Cause I can't even give my mom her flowers for coming to watch me play for my last game at state. I just remember being so proud you know, uh, it had been such a long journey, you know, and you feel like that moment would never come. Like you'll never be a senior. The guys who um, had other years knowing that, you know, they want to give it their all for TC, for Russell Allen, for, for Lance Lewis, for all these guys that played on the team. And that's like when I look at that game, it's like, dang, you know, that's who we were the entire year. It just really never clicked. You know, we just I – mean, a lot of games, you just didn't worry. But that last game, knowing that you could steal somebody else's dream and take something away from UNLV, that was special. I don't know. Finally got to touch the end zone. You blocking, you play fullback, you never get to touch the end zone. So, like, I went out the way that I would love to, you know. And I, I, those colors, and I remember all the plays. I remember everything still to this day. and special moment but I look at that season and other reflect the records don't reflect the cats in the league nobody will ever talk about how talented those teams were you know and the people who are in the NFL the Jeff Webbs like all that stuff man people yeah. forget all that stuff you can never tell me that we were a bad a bad bunch that's why I mean so so much to see the guys winning now you know because the team was able to come together you know, everything started to work and started to reflect. So when the world looks surprised that SDSU is doing it, I don't. It's just you finally got unity, camaraderie, and direction from athletic athletic department head all the way down, and everybody's on the same page. That's what happens. You win football games when everybody as an organization is on the same page. As you transition from kind of a college football player um, I think you were the first or maybe one of the first with MS to play Division I college football. The first. Um, yeah, you transitioned to become the ambassador for the National MS Society. <laughs> Why was that important for you to do? It, man, I, look, I didn't know it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. We are athletes. Like, we handle adversity. We, we, right. play with, we play with – I know guys who play, played with broken limbs. I know guys who have gotten 
shoulders dislocated and pop back in at halftime and they go out and have 10 tackle games and finish out the rest of the football. So like I did not understand that it was a big deal. So I want to be, I'm going to be open and honest about that one. So I didn't know nobody else had done what I had done. I was committed to a sport. I was committed to guys. I was committed to my education. I was a student athlete. This is what we're supposed to do, MS or not. And so when they gave me the honor, I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. I get it now. Why? Because now there are other guys, girls who are playing the sports that they love. There are even some playing football with the disease and it's like you get thank yous like how crazy is that like i found your story when i was 18 years old and i love football and because you didn't stop i'm not gonna stop like what you know so i I wish i could tell you i understood the magnitude when i was i i'm just now kind of starting to understand now at the age of 35 how, how how big of a deal that was but it It's the thing that put me on the trajectory of speaking. It's the thing that really told me that when I open up my mouth and I'm doing, I'm in, it it told me that it doesn't stop with football for you, Tyler Campbell, which that doesn't happen for a lot of athletes for quite some time in life, right? So that thing was a true blessing because it's like, you get the pregame butterflies to give a speech. You get out in front, the crowd is roaring. All eyes are on you. It's your play. It's your drive. Right. What will you do game time for the next 45 minutes? And it is as close. I, I used to wear all red and black for every speech because it was as close to walking out of that tunnel to pregame meals, to all of that, as close as I could get. And I, I feel blessed because I found it. And not too many people find something that's that's that close. You know what I mean? It just feels good because it doesn't hurt after I walk off the stage. <laughs> like I do the next day after <laughs> after playing a football game, it don't hurt. So it's it's a blessing, it's an honor, but more importantly, it's it's about yo, other younger generations now taking that thing and going above and beyond, going above and beyond with it. One of the other things I read that you kind of launched or helped launch was the Educate, Elevate Collaborative Initiative. Mm-hmm. You kind of bridge uh, knowledge and awareness to underprivileged communities about MS. Yeah. And I, I think I read that your dad, Earl Campbell, also was part of that. And you yeah. kind of helped you guys grow uh, even more. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Hey, I was always taught to give back. You know, that's from Jump Street. You, you, you give back to the community. It's, it's, it's crazy, like, because because you never know what type of impact you can have on a young person's life. Right. And so when I was at state, I always volunteered at Encanto Elementary School, not far from the Mason, um, reading to young kids and like giving it back. So within, when the MS stuff happened, um, I was already in line with that. I was already in line with leaving things better than the way that you found them and lifting each other while you climb and, and knocking down doors so that other people can walk through. That's a part of my life. So we just slipped that thing with Pro Player Foundation. Um, I started doing philanthropic work when I was pr- trying out for my pro day. And, you know, when MS hit, I was like, okay, let's let's change from giving textbooks and, and raising money for kids in school 
to where I'll do it what I'm passionate about, which is helping MS. And when I was diagnosed, it's one thing to be the first to play football with it. It's another thing to be at that time to be black with MS. Mm -hmm. It was um, there weren't as many faces to it, which is what was more nerve wracking more than anything. Like the only person I knew was Montel Williams. My doctors at La Jolla were like, holy smokes, not only is this dude, this is an athlete, but he's black. Like, this is like an anomaly. Like, what are we doing? It was, it was known as a, a white woman's disease at that time, you know? And so when I walked through the doors, everybody was like, holy smokes, I'll never forget sitting down to an elderly lady in, in waiting for my name to get called. And she said, son, what are you doing? Hmm. Like, she was, as an MS patient, she was like, I've never seen anything. I mean, so it was, and, and, and so to be able to put together things now with Pro Player, and I've been doing the fundraising stuff ever since I got out of school with Pro Player Foundation, like Eric Allen taking me under his ring, Lorenzo Neal, come on, uh, in San Diego, we all know Lorenzo Neal. We know the good days of him, LaDainian Thomason, or everybody that he blocked for over a thousand yards. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so for those guys to take me underneath their wing and show me more about uh, philanthropy, and then it's just like I have a purpose to serve. So I'm going to be somebody who bridges the gap, helps the healthcare system, helps um, our communities navigate the healthcare system, helps spread the message because our communities, Latino and Black communities, are getting more and more affected with MS. Um, having more visibility, having more discussions because it's taking our community and, and people are getting younger, diagnosed, and they still can't figure out why Black men are our relapses are that much more severe than any other population. Why does it take our bodies? So why is it so debilitating to us so fast? They don't have answers, but if we don't start talking about it within our community, and if we don't, if we don't fight for inclusion, um, if we don't fight for better medications that adapt to our bodies, then, um, then we're going to suffer. And, and I don't want to see nobody suffer because I suffer in silence. Like I don't want anybody to go through that stuff. And, and so um, as for educate, elevate, collaborate, that's what that's all about. That's what pro player and our mission is all about. You mentioned obviously earlier some of the physical ailments and symptoms that MS brought to you. You know, as you're now, you know, 15 years with it and with, with medical <laughs> treatment and, and things like that. Is there light at the end of the tunnel for yourself and for anyone with MS? More answers than ever. You know, and it's um, I remember being hearing from people in the 70s and 80s like they used to use prednisone, you know, and it's like, call me and, uh, you know, we'll check on you in a couple. You know, if if it takes your body, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. And so when I was diagnosed, I had, you know, three, three options. You know, now I tell people as sad as it sounds, it, I tell them it's as good of a time as any to get MS. Because you have more options than even I had in 2000, excuse me, 2007. Hmm. And for that, um, for all the things that we know, all the different therapies that, that are out there that are not, you know, put forth towards medication, all the research that has happened, you know, there are many different ways. And we know that every MS diagnosis is different for each person. So you find your lane and you don't compare your MS to anybody else. However, hmm. When you do find that good story, you latch onto it because that serves as your hope. When a person has hope, you know, it's the most powerful thing in the world because hope builds determination. Determination leads to a positive attitude. And when you have a positive attitude, bruh, there's no limit to your altitude as a human being. Like I look like as far as being black in this country, like all my people have ever had is hope. 
And so hope is free. Hope don't cost you a dime. And sometimes hope for things to get better is all you need. And with MS, you can continue to hope because I feel like we are getting closer and closer to a cure year in and year out than we've ever been before because the options are being greater and you're seeing people come back or hold fast to what they have and not let it be stripped from them um, like it used to be, you know. Um, so it, it's getting better. But when you find those feel good stories, bro, you, you latch on to them and you hold on to them because that's the hope that you need. Absolutely incredible. Um, you were talking about being a best selling author. So yeah, <laughs> the, <laughs> the ball came out life from the other side of the field, man. Tell us about the book you know, the genesis of it, you know, what inspired you to, to, to share your story that way. Um, and, and maybe just some of the doors that that book has opened for you. I'm a speaker, right? So it's like, I talk, I'm a big fan of J.R. Tolkien, um, C.S. Lewis. Uh, those are authors I loved as a kid. Like I read all the Lord of the Rings stuff before it came out on B on mm-hmm. movie, you know, I'm, I'm in that 2000s era. Like we're all going to see all of that stuff. Right. So, um, I'm a comic book kid, DC, underneath my bed marvel playing cards you know all that stuff with a flashlight as a kid eating honey buns you know so i'm 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 a nerd who loves football you know what i'm saying that's that's what i am um when it, i knew that i had a story to tell but guys I, for many years i get down sit in front of a paper and i could never write i could talk to you till i'm blue in the face or give you a speech about you know three principles road coming out whatever you need me to talk about i do it but when it came down to writing my own story i couldn't and, you know, COVID hit and hurt everybody, right? And so for me, it caused me to look more in depth at myself as a husband and as a father. And the reason I tell everybody to look in the mirror is because I had to slow down and I had to look taller in the mirror. And I had to look at my children, my nine-year-old son, my two daughters, my wife, and I had to honestly look at them and say, I failed. And I had to tell them that because I wasn't giving them my full part. You know, as a man, there's a lot of things that I've held on to in my life that I hadn't shared with even my wife. So if I'm not being totally honest and transparent with you about who I am as your husband, then that means, honestly, like I'm cheating you in our marriage. And if I'm not telling you, that means I'm not I'm not telling our children, I'm not giving my son valuable lessons in his manhood. And I'm, I'm looking at daughters and I'm not I'm not giving you the full heart of a man, which is what you should expect when you get into relationships, when you get into friendships. I'm telling you to give your all and your full heart and daddy's not even doing it. And so for a year, I was going through therapy, apologizing to people, apologizing to my wife, apologizing to my kids, my parents, telling people when you said this to me when I was 14, 18, 20, like it hurt me. It scarred me. I still been hanging on to that hate all this time. And I'm sorry. Like I had to do all of that. And so when I cleared the air, um, at the end of the day, I had room to write. Hmm. I had room to share my heart. I honestly can say that everything I wrote in that book, it, it was stuff that I had walked through finally and close the chapter on finally. And when COVID happened, I looked at life and it's like, I could die tomorrow. I've lost uncles. I've lost brother-in-laws. I've lost like everybody else. Like I've, I've lost people through COVID, right? Many funerals, right? And 
if I die, what do I leave my kids that there tells them about their dad? And so when I cleared all that mess out, I finally got something that I could leave with my children to let them know anything and everything about their father. You know, it's, it's one thing to look at pictures and we look at pictures and we're saying, man, I, I wonder what my grandma was thinking at that time. I wonder what my mom, my brother, what they were thinking. I have a book. My babies don't ever have to wonder what their father was thinking because they can always go back to the words. And so that's what I'm most proud of. I, I'm at peace if I die tomorrow with my wife knowing everything about her husband, my kids knowing everything about their father. And I think that's that's what I'm so proud of now, more than anything. You know, that's what that's what it's about. Um so powerful stuff. You, yeah, and you had mentioned earlier in the conversation that that when you know you're 21 years old and the doctors are telling you you're not gonna have kids. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. so how did, I mean, just your experience of becoming a father and, yeah. and, and in that, I guess, conversation with what everything was told, could you just speak a little bit about that? Yeah, man. Um, it's like, as a man, you know, I never thought that I would have dysfunction issues. Like I, I thought that was like, that's like stuff you deal with an older age. Like when people are telling you, all this stuff that's not going to be able to happen. Like, number one is just like you hear the words, but it's like, man, that can't be, you know, um, it hurt. Yeah. Like just scary. Right. Like how in the world are you ever supposed to explain to like, I'm in the later, I'm in, I'm in the after college. Like, you know, you're in your twenties, like girls start thinking about getting married. Like, You've had that rendezvous of college time where people ain't looking to get married, you know, all that girlfriends and stuff. But you, I'm thinking forward now, and it's like, how do you, how do you start a conversation off of that? Like all that's like in the front of my face. Like, like what's even the point? Tyler, you might as well just, like, I don't know, stay, stay to yourself. Like nobody wants to put up with that. And then, and then you don't know what you're gonna look like when you turn thirty something, forty something, because you could be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. Like. So a lot of that always in the forefront of my mind, never, never talk to teammates about it. Like, so very alone and just suffering through um, and, and in your mind thinking that you are potentially going to be uh, alone. So kind of just start using these younger years of getting comfortable with that. That was kind of like the norm or the thought. Right. And so, my my wife now, her name was Shana. Um, she's one of the few people I did tell in terms of telling, but not like always talking about it. Just like one of those things I'm telling you. Um, so just pray for me. You know, when we were in college. I told her on the third floor of the athletic center. She she ran track and field. Amazing athlete at state. To like hold a child for the first time, fellas. Man, it's like uh, you can't even put it into words. You know, that first cry that. Uh, you know, my, my wife in her own right being apprehensive about being able to have children, right? And, and from things that she's been told. And so it's the greatest thing in the world to be a father or the greatest thing in the world to be a husband. And then you throw a father on top of that. Like this life that you're holding is like solely dependent on you. And you were told that you'd never be able to. And it's just, that's why I'm so big on telling people never lose hope. 
Never let somebody speak over your future because it's your life. What you want to never give up on. I want to be a dad. I want to be a husband. Like, I think I love football, I love athleticism, love speaking, but I wanted a family. And to finally have those things, it's like, um, I don't know, man. And to have three of them, <laughs> you know, it's like me and my wife looking at each other. Hey, got one. Let's, let's try <laughs> to do it again. And let's try, you know, and so nothing but joy. And and I and that's why I hope people find those things out, because they know when I, when I speak on things, I literally come from, from a place of like being told you couldn't have. And I'm not just talking about sports. I'm talking about something as basic as family. So. It's everything, man. My kids, my wife and my children, they are everything. That's it. That's it. That's all says the clock on the wall. <laughs> awesome stuff. I don't have the privilege of being a father, but uh, Paul. Take has your time, Dre. It's all good. <laughs> Paul, Paul has four kids, so I'm oh, sure. Hey, he, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, he feels yeah. what you're saying. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> we, we can't we can't let you go without actually talking about the current San Diego State football team. Let's go. You mentioned Adam Hall. He's a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. I think Ryan Lindley, you, you might have overlapped with him for a year. Yeah, no, I had I had Kevin first and then Lindley came in. I had his freshman season with yeah. him with him setting records in all in his own right. Right. So go go ahead. I got I got plenty, bro. I keep up with my red and black. Go ahead. <laughs> So what what are what are your thoughts about the current team? They obviously didn't get off to uh, at the start that they wanted, but yeah. uh, with the bye week and moving forward with Ryan in place now. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Uh, mine, mine are. I'm, I'm thankful for Ryan to come back, right? Because I look at the quarterback position, and I feel like it's one we we really got to get a got to get a handle on. And 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 for me, I come from I come from seeing a pedigree of great of great Aztec quarterbacks. I you know I listed Adam. I, I you know, and then and then you know KO and 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 see Lindley like I saw Lindley and even when he came in as a freshman, like he was a freshman and he was he was a leader on our football team. So I, I know it could be done, right? Man. I know I know it could be done, and so I'm appreciative for him coming back because he's been into the league. And sometimes to birth a position, you need to get with somebody who's kind of on your level, kind of speaks the same lingo. But watch this; he's also been there and done that. Um, so I feel like that's important. Like I love the the fact that we are recruiting a lot on a on a wider scale too. I see guys that are coming from from all over. I just want us to get back to winning in the trenches. I want us to get back to winning in the trenches because that that will set everything up a lot more for us. But I feel like I feel like we got to get a little passing game together. I feel like it's it's much needed. It is very necessary because it can offset how people game plan for us. And I love, I love the guys. I, I love the coaches. You know, um, I appreciate the movement of our university and what they've been doing with Snapdragon and everything. There's a lot of great things taking place on the Mesa. But I've been on some bad teams before, and we talked about that UNLV game. And so I, sometimes I feel like it just takes – the right energy for somebody else to bring it in because the if you bring it in the right way, cat's hearts will be able to show. And, and, and that's what I feel like 
could still get ignited this football season. I'm 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 watching Hawaii like on tiptoe anticipation at nighttime. Like, come on, man, come on, fellas. Like every like you know what I'm saying. Like so, I watch it and it's like I don't. I've been on terrible teams, fellas. I don't want people to have to go through that. You know what I'm saying? I feel for kids who got to go through that. So I need it to come back. I need the ball to open up so that we can set up the run game so we don't become so easy to game plan for. And, and that way you take the pressure off the defense. And and because there's a lot of man coverage out there. With the defense we play, a lot of man coverage. So it's a lot of running around, a lot of blitzing. Um, so as an offense, we got to give our, our boys some breaks on the other side. You know what I'm saying? And so hopefully a little air. No pressure, Ryan. No pressure, Ryan Lindley. And hopefully just a, li- a little bit more air. Um <laughs> you know, can can help us set up that run game that we love a little bit more, take our play action a lot more serious. And um, and, and hopefully we just don't get boxes stacked up against us and on the other side, you know, it gives the defense a chance to rest and be able to do what they need to do. Last question, just talking about the quarterback, Jalen Maiden. He's a Texas yeah, kid. He's a Texas kid. Have you ever seen anything like what he just did in playing safety for nine months, transitioning back to quarterback, throwing for 300 yards? So let me, and, I, and you guys can talk to me about this. Like, like talking football, here's, here's what I know or I feel about kids nowadays. And it can be good. I mean, they play football all year round now. All right? Like, it, it is, they do from seven on seven to winter football. I, I mean, uh, like spring, like the real football, even from younger ages, like 12 grade, 30, I mean, 12 year old, 30, like they play football all year long. So I'm not necessarily for that. But what I will say is they are more athletically gifted than we were back then, even at that time. Like kids now, they play multiples. They, they, they have their own trainers now. They, they, they train from the time that they are younger. So it's a shock and surprise. No, I've never seen it. But I know it can be done because of how well-rounded and athletically gifted these guys are. They play multiple positions, most of them all their entire life. So they are way more athletic and savvy at this time. And so it lets you know, it's like, man, I wonder how gifted my man would have been if he just honed in on this one. The only, But but you're so incredibly gifted. Yo, we put you over here on the other side of the ball. Like, you know, um, it's a conundrum from coaches because when you're recruiting kids, it just goes to show like you can't you can't place your limitation on what you the idea is what you think this 17 year old kid is going to be like when you get him 18 and his yeah. body's developing. You have literally no idea. I don't care about your stars. I don't care about five star, four star. Like It matters not. These are young kids like you can't you can try rivals. You can try ESPN. You try to depict it. You can't. He is a prime example of that. Like a prime example. Like you would have thought he would have just done this. He didn't do this. Put him on the other side of the ball. He goes back to something he's doing all those years growing up. And I, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's it was, unbelievable. It was, fun, it was fun to watch for sure. Man, come on, baby. Come on. Lindley, no pressure. <laughs> Tyler, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a very, uh, it was a great conversation. You were definitely someone high on our list that we wanted to have on the podcast. Uh, and we, the bye week was perfect. I think uh, there's no game on this weekend, but um, there's a right. Tyler Campbell episode that I think people are going to enjoy. Man, I got you. I want to tell you guys this um, for you all to give birth to stories. I think I told you, Dre, like, I'm so proud. I, I love the fact that y'all are doing this. 
I love the fact that you get to expose your fandom, your love for the program. And these were stories that live on forever because the next generation, the youngers, they, they learn more about things that come from the red and black. And so I appreciate y'all. Y'all give up your own free time for this. You know what I'm saying? So it comes from another level of love for y'all to make this happen. So y'all stay together. Y'all stay unified and, and keep pushing um, because these will be on rewind and playback for other people so they can get the hope that we talked about and get that much closer to their gift and their purpose. So, man, kudos to y'all. This is an honor for me, Paul. It's right. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you so man. much. Have a good night, man. Hey, you do the same, fella. Paul, go go get them kids, man. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. They, they, that's a couple of times I've had to mute it because they've been knocking at the door. <laughs> what a feeling, baby. <laughs> there you have it, Aztec Nation. Uh, an incredible interview with Tyler Campbell. The story, the perseverance, the trials and tribulations that he has gone through and is still going through in some ways. Uh, really uh, powerful interview. Um, someone that we definitely enjoyed having on the podcast and talking to and learning from because he is definitely a man that you want to sit and listen to speak and to learn from because he definitely has been through through a lot in his life. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we will be back. Paul and I will be back later this week for uh, an episode to preview the Nevada matchup. Uh, but until then, everyone have a great week and we'll talk to you guys next time. You are listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times with your hosts, Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.